Hi, this is Amanda and welcome to this week's episode of the Very Curious Herbal Project. The story I'm going to share with you today is one that ultimately doesn't really sit in the Very Curious Herbal Project. It sits in my other project, The Kissed in Time, um, which um, looks at archive material from a wonderful resource called Tovar and Dalkus, created by the School of Scottish Studies, uh, which is available online. And in it, you can find memories and recordings from um, a vast period of time from across Scotland. And it's got stories, folklore, all kinds of wonderful uh, conversations about just about everything. I have created A Kissed in Time um, concentrating on the archive material in Tovar and Dulcus that shares how we use plants, whether that's uh, bits of folklore, fairy tales here and there, or just sort of uh, uses. So I shared some lovely um, material earlier in this project that had come from one of Betsy White's recordings about uh, traveller, how Scottish travellers traditionally had used plants that they'd found um, as they'd foraged in the hedgerows and uh, fields. So this project does kind of connect with the very curious herbal because I think a lot of the stories I share in the Kist of Time would have been exactly the sort of stories that Elizabeth Blackwell would have heard growing up in Scotland. If she'd been lucky enough to have um outside influences, maybe uh, teachers, governesses, uh, staff in the house, or maybe people coming to the door selling things. Maybe she'd been out with a, a parent or a tutor or um, a nanny to and heard people talking in streets and markets. So when she walked to the park, then these sort of folk tales would have been exactly the sort of thing that you might pick up on as a child. So I think there's a little bit of a connection there. I'm also aware that some of the stories I've picked up on working on the Kissed in Time uh, relate to plants that Elizabeth drew when she was older and she published her book, A Curious Herbal. They reveal how these plants have been used in everyday life for centuries and because the very curious herbal continues to look at and reveal layers of the way plants um, have a huge role in our lives chapter by chapter then the stories kind of all intertwine and build up a bigger picture so this story is not really so much about the herbal use of Birch, but it is a really lovely comic story. Birch is now going to be one of those, I suspect, where there's another story added in that is also, um, there's also a bit of a, a fairy tale, but I think that's part of the magic of Birch. It's got a really, it's got a really enchanting quality to it. If you stand in a birch wood and you look up at those graceful swaying branches and their silvery form, there is something otherworldly about them. And so that's really what one of the things that has drawn me to this story and the other one I might share later on in the week about birch 
it's really about how they shape our culture as a tree um, and how they they form a really vital, vibrant part of the landscape that is quite iconic, really, because of, of their beauty and, and their very strange, mysterious silver bark. Um, anyway, this is a story that uh, Duncan Williamson, one of the great Scottish traveller storytellers, told, and I listened to a recording of it made in the late 70s. Uh, Duncan explains that he heard the story but never saw it written down and that he originally heard it in Gaelic. He mentions he heard it from a Neil McCallum and a, a heard, Duncan heard him tell this tale when he was just a, a young lad a, and he was talking to this old Highlander who, who he did, assisted at dike building when he left school. Dyke building, for those of you that don't know, is creating the stone stone walls, the dry stone walls that uh, mark out huge areas of the Scottish landscape. It, uh, the story starts with two brothers who worked hard at building these dry stone dikes across the moors to keep the sheep that populated Scotland after the clearances from straying. The elder brother treated the younger one like a slave. He paid him only sixpence a week and barely enough to, to keep him alive. The younger brother, for a long time, had put up put up with this mistreatment and um, he never thought to complain. A little side note about this. This honestly, I'm never gonna. This is gonna be one of those podcast episodes where it really is one of my train of thought podcasts. So, do excuse me. I meant to say in the in the beginning bit, eh, this relates to one of the reasons I like this is because um, Elizabeth Blackwell grew up before the, really the start of the Highland clearances is towards the end of her life, um, so. You know, it's the sort of story that I, I say she might have heard a similar story growing up. There are elements later on that are the bits I imagine she'd have heard. The bits, um, you'll, you'll see how it pans out anyway. Sorry, interrupt my own story. I'm like a badly behaved audience member. <laughs> Where am I? Two brothers building dry stone dikes across the moorland, preparing the land for the sheep that they were just, the lairds were bringing in. And the older brother paid his younger brother a mere pittance, only enough to keep him clothed and food in his belly. And the younger brother never thought to complain. But as the years grew and the turned and the seasons changed, the younger brother became more and more aware of how put upon he was. And it was one autumn afternoon when he was sat resting his weary feet after walking miles hefting stones about to make the dikes, that he got chatting to an old traveller man. Now the traveller man made his way across different parts of Scotland and he made his living by creating bism brooms. He gathered the heather and then fastened them on to a sturdy straight staff and created a broom for 
sweeping out the house. And a very good living he made too, selling these biz and brooms door to door. The younger brother was intrigued and asked him how much he earned and was quite surprised when he found out that the traveller earned as much for one broom as he did in a week. He went back to his older brother and he said to him, I'm not working for you anymore. You've been treating me like no better than a slave. I can't be going on hefting these stones about. I'm weary, my back is sore, and I've only ever got enough money to put food in my belly and keep my clothes on my back. I want to make a fortune. I'm going to do what that traveller fellow has done. I'm going to go and gather myself up heather and make biz and brooms. Well, the older brother laughed and he said, You'll never make money like that. That old fellow's been practising a lifetime. He's This is a skill. He can't just march up to the, the heather and cut yourself off a bit and make a biz and broom. Yes, stupid boy. Well, the younger brother was fed up with being patronised and made fun of, and he wanted to feel the jingle of coins in his pocket. So off he set, up to the heather, and he cut himself a bundle, a great big armful. And then he found the biggest, strongest staff he could. And he fastened the heather onto the bottom, packing it in tightly, binding it on until he'd made a huge, fine besom. But the thing was so big that although he knocked on door after door, he couldn't find a single person to buy it off him. People just laughed. And when his brother saw it, he just burst into guffawing laughter. He'd never seen such a ridiculous thing. A great big besom broom. A man could barely lift it up. But the younger brother wasn't put off and he carried on his way door to door trying to sell his hefty, huge bosom. As it happened, Halloween was drawing near and the witches of the area were planning their annual gathering. They all met together in a secluded birch wood. The golden leaves drifting like pennies to the floor surrounded their sacred site where they met annually and discussed the things that they'd done and the places they'd been and made their plans for the year to come. Now there was one witch that never usually made it to the annual gathering. She was a, a big woman, as broad as she was tall, and she weighed a fair amount, it's reasonable to say. Big Maggie was her name, a huge woman, a fearsome sight, and she had no broom to sit on that would take her all the way to the birchwood. The witches all knew Big Maggie wouldn't make it and as they started to gather together in the birch wood they laughed and chuckled, made fun of her and talked about the things they'd never talk about to her face. As it happened, 
As the gathering of the witches was just about to begin, who should knock on Big Maggie's door but the young man with his giant bison broom? Big Maggie took one look at this hefty broom and they offered him a price. Now, the young man was not really sure what to ask for and he looked at the broom and remembered how much his brother had paid him for a week's work and how much the traveller had earned and asked for a sixpence. A smile crossed Big Maggie's face. A sixpence? Is that all you want? You're giving me a gift, she said for that and for that I will give you a gift in return. I will pay you a sixpence, but this sixpence is like no other. Every time you spend it, it'll be come back to you afresh. For every sixpence you, you spend, you will have another one in your hand, and you will never be without sixpence again. Well, the young man laughed. He didn't think that a magic sixpence existed, but I'm assured it did and it saw him out to the end of his days. Meanwhile, Big Maggie had a bosom broom that no one could match, and she sat astride this magnificent, long-handled, sturdy bosom. And the thing rose off the ground, and she made her way up to the gathering of witches in the silver birch wood. Well, as she landed, the witches were all aghast. Surely she hadn't heard what they'd said. Oh no, Big Maggie was here. Big Maggie cast her narrowed eyes around the assorted folk and she said to them, I know what you've been saying. I've heard what you've said about me and you may laugh and you may mock me. But I'll be the only one with a fine ride home. And with a twinkle in her eye and a cast of her hand, she picked up each and every one of them's bison brooms, their tiny wee things with their heather, heather ends, and she tossed them magically up high into the birch tree's branches. And there they caught and each and every witch had to make their way home on foot. Apart from, of course, Big Maggie, who sat astride her hefty besom and uh, was never forced to walk again. <laughs> and if you go to um, a birchwood, not always, you'll see the witches' brooms, as they're called. Um, they're caused, as I posted in the Facebook group, Botanica Fabulousness, uh, last night, I was I was out looking for them in my local Birchwood, um, and I shared pictures from one of my favourite books from when I was a child, all about woods. Um, they're usually caused by a, a fungi, and um, so they're not in every single birch tree. And I don't want to spoil the story. I'd rather they were made by witches' broomsticks. Well, witches' broomsticks or 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 um, anomalies of twigs caused by witch by fungi, whichever um, whichever you choose. Let's go with the broomsticks. But if you let, if you see one, will you share photos on the Facebook group? And I'd love to see them. And I will return um, probably 
later on this week with another story about birch trees. Uh, thank you all for putting up with my <laughs> usual rather chaotic uh, podcast style. And I will speak to you all soon. Thank you. Goodbye.